morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Mike. Okay, on Saturday, President Biden signed the bill suspending the U.S. debt ceiling and ending that crisis. That news, plus the hot jobs report, sent the Dow Jones Industrial Average surging 700 points, or 2%, and the S&P up 1.4% on Friday. Non-farm payrolls rocketed 72% above Wall Street's expectation of 190,000, giving new jobs all the way up to 339,000. So the first question, Phil, you voiced some strong opinions about a post-death ceiling market. What do you think here? So look, um, I think that, you know, it goes back to our base case scenario uh, for 2023 that we laid out at our annual firm economic and market update. Uh, in which we said this was the bounce back year. Um, you know, right at the half, you're coming in with the S&P roughly up about 10%, you know, right in line uh, to make back last year's losses. Now, we know that, you know, this rally has been concentrated, right, in a handful of stocks, you know, namely those top tech names. Uh, and, and you look at the NASDAQ up over 20%, et cetera, that's, that certainly can't continue, even though it should make up for last year's losses. The Dow, however, is the laggard and dramatically underperforming. Financials, healthcare, et cetera, really, really underperforming this year. Um, I think that, you know, as the year goes on and as the summer goes on, what you're going to see uh, is more cyclicality uh, where the, the breath is going to start to broaden out. And those non-tech names, uh, specifically the value names, you know, you look at the Vanguard uh, dividend index and the VYM year to date. Uh, off, you know, on the year three to four percent, something like that. Um, those value-based stocks uh, should do well uh, over the summertime and in the second half. So, you know, we maintain with our base case scenario that we laid out at the end of the year. Um, you know, you take this off the table. You did see a little bit of sell on the news right off the bat. Um, you know, which could be expected. And obviously, on Friday, you had that 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 number that was seen as you know, friendly to the markets, and that's why you had the bounce. So is tech a little bit overvalued here? I would dare to say so. Uh, is value undervalued here? I would dare to say so. You know, it still looks like from an interest rate complex perspective that rates have higher to go. Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, Mike, I believe the tenure at the time was 3.6 going into going into the uh, debt negotiations, something like that. It's, it hit like 375, something like that earlier this morning, last night. Um, I do think that those rates go up a little bit higher than expected uh, to the four, maybe four and a quarter range in the 10-year once again, uh, which would be a good time to, again, fill up part of that bond portfolio uh, on the on the mid and, and longer side uh, with rates. So um, yeah, this is uh, folding right into, into what we said at the beginning of the year, right on target. And um, I think this is how it'll play out. Now, seasonally, you are getting into, you know, August, September, uh, October weakness at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, when you when you look at the names that you can rotate into here that haven't done anything on the year, uh, there's still value out there, specifically in value. Yeah, and I think one of the other dynamics that we saw is this is the closest that we came to bumping up and or breaching the debt ceiling since 2011. And it was really no surprise that we still pass some type of a debt limit deal because this is how politics go back and forth. They make 
a whole mountain out of everything, negotiate back and forth. And there are some people that think the Republicans gave up too much. There's some people that think the Democrats gave up too much. You got to remember that the Senate and the House are still divided. So nobody's realistically going to be completely happy with everything. But at the same time, there was so much concern going into the negotiation that it wouldn't pass that people were hedging so much and the volatility index skyrocketed above 20 again. And when that happens, people put protection on to the downside. And then if the event clears, similar to the 2020 presidential election where there was so much volatility and negativity leading up to the actual event, the event clears, it's not as negative as people anticipate. People have to take off those negative downside protection positions and the markets go higher. Now, a lot of that's been cleared out. So, and we go into the negative seasonal period, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the markets are going to sell off. We might see just more rotation, which is really one of the things that we've seen more so over the course of the last, I don't know, nine months than anything else is you have this rolling kind of a, I don't want to call it a complete bull market, but you have certain areas of the markets that are getting hit, but then 70% of other things are not doing as poorly. Um, more recently, it's been concentrated in tech, but you have these rolling negative spots, rolling positive spots, and I think that's probably going to continue. Okay. Um, you know, on the question side, a lot of focused wealth management clients have been asking about the U.S. dollar. And last week, Bloomberg said, all around the world, a backlash is brewing against the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. Brazil and China recently struck a deal to settle trade in their local currencies, seeking to bypass the greenback in the process. India and Malaysia in April signed an accord to ramp up usage of the rupee in cross-border business. And even the perennial U.S. ally France is starting to complete transactions in China's yuan. For many global leaders, the rationales for taking these measures are strikingly similar, said Bloomberg. The dollar is being weaponized in an effort to push America's foreign policy priorities and punish those that oppose them. The biggest example is the unprecedented financial pain the U.S. brought to Russia after the invasion of the Ukraine war. This highlighted how dependent the rest of the, war is, the, rest of the world is on the U.S. dollar. So what do you guys see the dollar doing in the days ahead? Well, I think what's being ha or what's actually happening right now is very much in reaction to banning Russia from the SWIFT settlement system. We took away their ability to transact in U.S. dollars. Now, does that mean we're going to do it to the rest of the world? No. But at the same time, the groundwork is being laid in terms of a reserve currency backup, right, in the event that some of these other countries have the potential to be banned from the SWIFT settlement system. Um, it. Now, when you look at what's actually taking place with Russia, you really don't have to look any farther than what's actually going on with the price of oil, because ultimately their economy is 80 to 90 percent levered to the price of oil. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you go back three, four years ago, you're looking at a position in a scenario where 90 percent of the more than 90 percent of the settlement of commodities actually takes place in U.S. dollar. And that's actually still taking place. That's still going on. It's not like the world is moving away from dollars because most transactions that are taking place are still being settled in dollars. It's still north. Of and look, I got to tell you, right, there's a lot of. Yeah. And there's a lot of noise always out there about this, um, about getting away from the greenback. And, you know, who are the major, you know, talkers of that are, you know, these regimes uh, that are bad global actors. 
And so, you know, to manage an international currency is extremely complex. When you look at our foreign deficits, when you look at our trade deficits, you know, the balances that we run uh, really post-World War II, post-Bretton Woods, uh, it's because we can. And it's because it's valued and it's because, you know, the U.S. uh, like it or don't like it is the strongest military, strongest superpower in the world uh, and can have a, a currency that's befitting of a global superpower, and it's managed in in such way. And it's very tough to do that. I mean, what's the net gain to the average U.S. citizen by being the world's reserve currency? You know, it it helps globally with clout and with being a superpower, but it's extremely difficult to manage. And so these bad actors in the world, um, yeah, that was a very, you know, robust response, I guess, policy response, uh, taking Russia and taking them off the SWIFT system, et cetera. I'm sure that as India emerges, you know, look, look at India, global, you know, that they're, they're going to really, this is going to be an Indian century. Uh, when you look at the youth, uh, when you look at their demographics, uh, when you look at them growing, I, I think that, you know, this isn't the decade of China, but really India and India, India can really emerge, especially when you look at the ages of the populations and the technology uh, and that English is their, is their language. That, that all matters, right? And I think that India is really uh, someone to watch here. Um, but the Saudis aren't going to run a global currency. The Brazilians aren't going to run a global currency. The countries around the world them. don't have the ability to run a global currency like we do. There's really only three that have the ability to do it. Us, the UK, and Japan have the ability to run a global currency with the way our financial system is structured, with the way our debt can be issued around the world. And the other factor that you have to consider with this is in 2022, the dollar was skyrocketing. The dollar was so strong against all these other currencies. So for these other countries to get their hands on commodities, they have to convert to dollars to make the conversion, which results in them having to really losing money in a lot of these transactions. So this is a a lot of it's in response to the fact that the Federal Reserve has had to hike interest rates so precipitously to combat inflation but the world transacts in dollars, so they're trying to find other ways to not suffocate trying to get their hands on a limited amount of what is a currency in circulation, and that's the world's reserve currency. And whenever the poop hits the fan, you immediately see purchases to U.S. dollars. You immediately see purchases to U.S. treasuries uh, because it is the safe reserve. And uh, I don't think that that will change for quite some time, and they can make all the noise out there. Um, but it is the strongest reserve. You are 100 percent right. It is no coincidence that every time the markets go into a really significant free fall due to the fact that you're going through some type of a global economic distress. The one thing that is almost a certainty is that the dollar is going up in that time period. Always. And when that changes, then, you know, the markets have spoken. Right. And until that changes, uh, I don't see the fear that's out there about, you know, a non-dollar denominated. And these are really interesting headlines because they're polarizing and they capture a lot of eyeballs. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. That was great. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com, and we'll be back next week.